passion, romance, love, sex, commitment, purity, trust, fidelity, godliness, sacrifice. All things found in a wonderfully fulfilling marriage. But how do you find the one? Let's talk about it in an all new episode of C28. Well, it's been a while. <laughs> We've got a few texts from uh, you listeners wondering where uh, the next episode's coming, but we did it. We're here. Yeah. It's been literally the busiest summer of my life. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I would say busiest summer of my adult life. Yeah. Like by far. We've had trips and events multiple times every month through summer. Yeah. Well, it's summer. Like right now, uh, I have four kids in soccer eight practices a week, four games on Saturday. Then obviously pastors at least work an hour and a half on Sundays. So <laughs> kind of fills up the week pretty quick. Yeah. And uh, it's not over yet. I'm going to the Puritan conference in October in Los Angeles. That's pretty cool. I'm pretty excited about that. It's got like John Piper, John mm -hmm. MacArthur, Joel Beagie, mm -hmm. Paul Washer. I never Washer. bought tickets for that. I know. Sold out now. You tried to get me uh, to buy them early when they're like I did. eight cents off. <laughs> Better get them Every quick. penny counts going down yeah. there. But I'm pretty excited about that. That's in October. And then uh, um, a friend of mine, Tom, and I are going to go on a little two-night backpacking trip. So, Where at? Where are you backpacking at? Um, I think he said Carson Pass, like up Highway 88. Oh. So we're going we're gonna, to like trek into this lake and then stay the night, spend a full day, stay the night, and then come home. So. You're going to wear some tight jeans and a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So I've never really done like anything like that. Like I've gone on hikes and stuff, right? Day hikes, but this will be a whole new adventure for me. And so I'm, uh, I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah. Well, and Tom is, uh, he's quite the, uh, oh yeah. He, cl he climbed Everest. He, so well, yeah. This is like playground stuff for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just taking you along to like have, have a party trick story down yeah, the road. <laughs> I know. Like I am, I'm genuinely concerned about my ability to keep up with him. Yeah. Uh, just because of his experience. So we'll see. He said there's a pretty good incline where we're going and cool. flattens out. So <laughs> thankfully I'll have a full day to recover before we start hiking again, where originally the trip we were talking about doing was going to the Tahoe rim trail. Mm -hmm. in, which is like every day you're doing multiple miles until you're done. So this one's a little, a lot more uh, relaxed, I think. Sorry for everybody that just heard that. <laughs> that might be Tom pulling up. I, I don't know. <laughs> As you can tell, our sound booth is, uh, is not done yet. <laughs> 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 yeah. So what about you? Um, busy summer? Yeah, just busy summer. We've been, uh, we take the kids up to a camp in uh, um, July uh, in Washington where their cousins go to the same camp. It's a Christian camp. And so we're able to see the family. They hang out with the cousins for a while. And then usually we get back and jump right into soccer and then school starts and it's just, you know, mayhem from there, but it is, uh, it's, it's busy, but, uh, all good stuff. So we got two episodes. We got this one and then one after that. Yeah. Close out the season. Yeah. So this episode, we're going to talk about what was commonly referred to as a day. Did you burn yourself with a coffee? <laughs> I burned myself. Oh my God. It was God. so much hotter than I expected. This is supposed to be a professional channel. I'm going to get tears on my microphone. <laughs> oh, so we're doing uh, what we was uh, commonly referred to as dating. We're going to talk about 
uh, today. And then our next episode is going to be uh, what is communion and baptism? We're going to hammer that out. That'll yeah. conclude this season. We apologize for the month break we just had. And then we are going to, uh, um, we'll talk about this more at the end of the episode about what is next. Uh, we got um, some really good topics sent in over the last couple months and uh, really got CJ and I excited to, to tackle some big questions. So um, that'll be season three. Uh, so let's let's start dating and uh, and get you this. want to date. That's right now. We should start dating. <laughs> Good one. That's a dad joke. Yeah, I know. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> I've really been leaning into those. <laughs> uh, so dating. Uh, what what? Where would you go in the Bible, Brian, to uh, find the list of things you should or should not do in dating? When you're dating someone and also where does the bible say how old we should be oh that's just good. like what verse you know mm. what do we go to for that so i'm not going to answer your question <laughs> because it's a, it's a mouse trap but uh <laughs> what i went well first what i did is i googled dating because yeah. i wondered if the if i assume that this that the secular world meaning uh, i would just say like the non-christian world yeah uh that we would have some uh in, in a venn diagram sense there would be a center that overlaps and uh the definition on webster says to go out with uh, someone to in whom one is romantically or sexually interested. Mm. So that's not how I define dating. It might be a part of what dating is, but I think that's a great one for how like the rest of the world. Probably exactly. Defines it. Yeah. yeah. So I was actually a little saddened to see that uh, dating did not have any uh, direct connection to marriage. Yeah. Which is not what I teach my kids. Um, I would I, I teach my kids something almost wholly different, although there is a part of that involved in it. So I went to Webster, I found out, ah, there's not even really good correlation between the secular world and the Christian world and what dating is, or the biblical worldview of what dating is. And so then as far as the Bible then, um, obviously I tend to lean right into Genesis 1 and 2 and then kind of go from there. Um, but there's a couple differences I noticed also. I mean, one of the things we'd have to address is like arranged marriages is, is a lot of how these biblical marriages were set up. And so how does that, how would you, off the top of your head, what, what is it, what is it, what are the differences when we consider um, uh, the biblical arranged marriage versus how we go about it here? And, and even if we just stick to our country. Okay. So difference between biblical arranged marriage and how our current culture views marriage or views dating. Yeah. So like, yeah, what are the implications? What are some of the implications in, in, in the ways that arranged marriage work versus how we go about it and things like that? Okay, so I mean, I think it boils down to purpose. Uh, in the arranged marriage, the purpose is to get married, right? Uh, to start a family, to continue uh, a lineage, a legacy, um, to contribute to society in that way. Whereas our current culture or society, however you want to put it, um, the purpose of it's, I mean, it's not, it's not even the same thing, right? Like, um, the purpose of dating is not to necessarily get married is not to, um, have kids and, and contribute to society or to, con or to continue any kind of lineage or legacy or anything like that, or a family name, right? It's literally just, uh, how can this person that I met on Tinder best serve me and like make me happy and, um, I don't know, like it's a self-soothing, self-serving kind of a thing that I think has just consumed every part of our society. Yeah, and I think right. that the definition we looked up proves exactly what you're right. saying. I'm interested in that. Yeah, yeah. I, I want sexual gratification from that or to mm -hmm. be sexually involved with that or I am romantically, uh, in, well, I want to be romantically involved with that. And, uh, 
And so, yeah, I, I think that there's a big difference. So should all Christians have arranged marriages? It's a good question. Yeah. No. We're stumped. Not necessarily. Stumped. I, I don't think that that is, uh, I don't think that that is, um, implicit in the Bible or explicit in the Bible that mm -hmm. all Christians should have arranged marriages. I think so you that, would say that some Christians can have arranged marriages. Yeah. Nice. I don't know. Is this going to get me in trouble for no, saying No, I agree with you. Oh, we'll yeah. both get in trouble <laughs> for getting I'm in trouble. Get canceled. This is not what I no. thought I'd get canceled no, over. I'm but not saying I, that the Bible says everybody should have arranged marriages. I'm just saying that like, I think that it allows for it and it also allows yeah. for people to pick their spouse. Right. Like if a society sh should so choose to structure themselves in a way that arranged marriages are done. Now, I think that doing them apart from God and apart from the word of God, right, as the... Um, as the thing that you measure what you're doing against, I think that could get you in trouble, mm -hmm. right? Where bad things could happen. But a Christian arranged marriage, I think has the potential to be fine. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a Christian, um, a, a Christian self-selecting a spouse could also- Self-selecting <laughs> a spouse. That was, I yeah. was nervous before I said it. <laughs> that, yeah. The but, alliteration is just deep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think both of those can be fine, right? Yeah. So an example of an arranged marriage, uh, I think maybe one of the most popular ones would probably be uh, Adam and Eve. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, yeah, no, that, that's good. I, I didn't. I didn't. In God's that, good design before sin, the first marriage was arranged. Yeah, that is true. But then after that, you know, be some people would argue, well, of course, there's only the only two people created. So, yeah. I mean, and then, then a Calvinist would say every marriage is arranged. <laughs> And they would be right. <laughs> uh, no, uh, Isaac and Rebecca, right? Genesis yeah. 24. Um, so if you're curious to see how that one worked out, Genesis 24. But mm -hmm. yeah, so we see those in there. But what I think also brings about an interesting conversation is, let me see if I can compare these two. And, this, uh, and I may ramble, so stop me if I get going too long. So um, there are things that we are supposed to do within a marriage that the Bible lines out throughout the word of God, how we are supposed to love and engage a spouse, right? Mm -hmm. And um, the standard by which we do that, because uh, if we take into consideration uh, that there are arranged marriages and there are also marriages where the person has picked their spouse in scripture, so there's both of those. And if we are supposed to love our spouse, um, unconditionally in the ways that the Bible tells us to and to interact in the, the, those ways with our spouse, the way the Bible tells us to, then it would be impossible to base it upon a lovey, ooey, gooey uh, feeling because the same expectation is of those who were arranged in marriage and they've never met the person before. So the Bible, I've, and I've used this phrase before and I think that it stands true, the Bible, I believe, communicates that you love the person you marry, not marry the person you love. And so some people, uh, we hear a lot of times with divorces, I just don't love the person anymore. Or we should have never got married in the I first place. I fell out of love with fell them. Out it's of not love. my fault. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of our elders here at Cornerstone often says, um, we, he, who do uh, premarital counseling, and they come in, and, and one of the first questions he asks is, why do you want to get married? And they're like, and he's like, undoubtedly, they, they get to the same statement where they say, well, because like we're, we're just in love with each other. And, uh, and, and this elder says, uh, that is the worst reason to get mm -hmm. married. And I, and I had another uh, professor at uh, Boise Bible College say, uh, when people say that they fell in love with each other, he tells them to stand up and dust that off of them. <laughs> and, uh, and the point is not that like, that love is bad. It's that 
you typically their definition of what love is right. is wrong and dust that off of you right. because there's a biblical love yeah. that is to be honest not based upon whether you have the feelings of likeness for that person but then even when those feelings of likeness for that person are gone mm-hmm. uh, you still choose to love that person um, so now we're talking more about marriage but what about the dating side of that? how do we get from being single and having nobody we're interested in to being married well i mean right now society opens up their phone right and downloads yeah. an app and that seems to be like the number one way that people are talking to it is people. isn't it isn't it above 50 percent now i don't know i was i thought so but i wasn't sure i don't have any study in front of me or anything well, so nobody everybody's I mean, driving nobody's gonna check us we're gonna say yeah it is the yeah. number one way people date and find each other and end up married <laughs> is through online trust apps. me just trust me <laughs> just, just, yeah no fact checkers here yeah. i'll delete your comment if you say something <laughs> otherwise yeah. what no, about I, this oh go oh, ahead so i was gonna say i think that is is probably the number one way um or you know people meet in school i think that at least in our circle i think that high school sweethearts are way more common than most people think yeah and you maybe and i are both them right we are and then like not for each other but <laughs> brian that's twice now <laughs> yeah um yeah and then several other people that i know at cornerstone yeah right are our high school sweethearts so public school is another big one where mm-hmm. i think people meet and end up getting married that's true yeah shared space probably has got to be up there yeah so i mean the bible does it does it use the word dating anywhere it does not okay it doesn't even use courting Either. Right, which is like Christians, Christian culture's baptized version of yeah. dating, right? Is courtship, yeah. which I'm not bagging on courtship. Depending, I like on what the you idea mean, of courtship. Depending on what I, you mean, I don't like the name. Yeah, it sounds weird and prudish. Right. But it, yeah, if you mean I'm going to examine this person as a potential spouse while I am examining my own soul to determine if I should even be a spouse. Right, and we're gonna do that together, mutually. <coughs> Whoa, <laughs> mutually for. All right, get it out of your system. <laughs> if we're gonna do that mutually, right, over the course of what six months, a year, whatever that is, that's fine. Like I think that is what we should be doing, actually. Yeah. I think that uh, um, in the pursuit of finding that Genesis one and Genesis two spouse. Um, I have kind of came to the conclusion that I think there's two qualifications. I don't think there's a lot. So when I was working construction and, and oh, we were supposed to do a warning that some of this stuff is a bit explicit for our normal, uh, for our normal discussion. How so many I, minutes into this are we? I don't know. Oh, you came with the warning 15 <laughs> minutes in. <laughs> hey, hey, well now, now you know. All right. So, from this point on. From this point on. Yeah. It's your own fault if your kiddos are listening yep. in the car. All yeah, right. But good for you if you do have your kiddos listening to this stuff. Yeah. There Just you go. not this one now you interpret it back to them right in your own way all right so there are these qualifications and I, when i was working construction i was building some buildings and uh, uh we would uh you know in the in the job shack uh, there'd be this, these discussions well these guys knew that like i was uh um you know i was, I was engaged you know and i was going to get married and you know i was 19 and she was 18 and um and they knew that emily and i hadn't had sex and they were they were shocked. They were like they were very they were like brotherly concerned for me. Like, <laughs> the, like you know you haven't in in the the illustration they gave. Um, Does that have to do with the car? Close okay. carousel. They're like why would you buy a carousel uh, and not take it for a test ride first? That 
man, I feel like the <laughs> you thought the, the construction card. worker wouldn't talk about a carnival. That is not at all where I thought. Yeah. Like, but also, who buys carousels? I know that's what I said to them, but that wasn't okay. really the point. <laughs> but it, yeah, I feel I said, like the low hanging fruit in, yeah. right there yeah. is the test drive for a car. Right, as bad yeah. as that sounds, I mean. That seems like go where on. a construction worker's yeah, mind would go. Yeah, exactly. Right? I'm sure we have a couple of those you know, listening. It was a child's <laughs> ride. And so uh, what I told him, I said, well, I said, I said, I'm not buying a carousel. and Because uh, <laughs> nobody buys carousels. <laughs> so, and the point was, is that like, I could see the seriousness in their face. They couldn't understand like, how could, before you marry somebody and tie yourself down forever. And they had a bunch of other like illustrations they wanted to use with me and stuff that we won't share here. Yeah. But, you know, for, for me, it was just a moment where I was like trying to explain like my worldview and how I approach dating. And what it was is that um, uh, I wasn't buying something for the ride. And that was very, I think, difficult for some of them to wrap their minds around. Like, and I just taught something different. Um, so if, if everybody has these qualifications, like, well, before, you know, I get married, I need to make sure that they have an income too. I need to make sure that they, they want kids or don't want kids. I got to make sure that they're good in bed. I got to make sure that, you know, they stroke my ego the way I they, want or whatever. They, they unceasingly make me happy. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And when they stop, you fall out of love. Right. Yeah. Because then the work begins for a marriage. Anyways. Right. Well, if this was true love, I would never feel this way. Yeah. I've heard that. I mean, mm -hmm. if, if this was really meant to be, then I would still be happy. Yeah. It's because, so to speak like arrogantly and dramatically, I would say that like, it's because you're trying to get your philosophy of marriage from Hollywood. Yeah. Like, or TikTok. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Anyways, so I think there's two qualifications um, for, for marriage. And this is also, you'd have to, when you hear these, think about the arranged marriage. Uh, first is that they'd be a follower of Jesus. Okay, mm -hmm. that is a qualifications Christians have. Uh, the, the proof text, oh, go ahead. I would just say, and maybe you're going to get to this, so I hope I'm not jumping ahead. But I would just say, like, the the subcategory under that is that they're, they're somewhat close to where you are maturity-wise. Would you say like equally yoked? Equally yoked. Okay, right. okay. so 2 Corinthians yeah, 6. I should have known. <laughs> I should have known. 6, uh, 14 through 15 is the typically the proof text we go to. And it's talking about what CJ just said, that, uh, that, that you, that first and foremost, the comparison in the text is going to be um, believers in Jesus, that that is the standard. But also... Um, there might be some wisdom in, cons in considering where they're at spiritually and you're at spiritually. But here's the text. It says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? And the point uh, that this text is making is that they've got to be a believer uh, they've got to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, what accord does Christ have with any other God is essentially what it's saying. And so that applies to a Christian in a lot of senses, but obviously uh, marriage. You can't you can't divorce this passage from marriage. Uh, so the first one we'd say they'd have to be a follower of Jesus. And the second one I have is opposite sex, which is super controversial right now, where I believe the Bible is very clear that one one of the qualifications for a spouse is that they're the opposite sex. And I'll just give you a couple, a uh, couple of proof texts for that. One Leviticus eighteen twenty two, uh, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. And so that's speaking to uh, men um, should not 
lay with a male as you would with a woman. Romans one twenty six through 27 says, For this reason God gave them up to their dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. 1 Timothy 1, 10 says, The sexual immoral, men who practice homosexuality, and slavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Uh, the idea is that I think that among culture, there are people who don't read their Bibles. And among culture, there are people that say the Bible doesn't speak about homosexuality. And in culture, they try to use these uh, smoke and mirrors to talk about what words were actually used and what they actually mean. And they say things that are just blatantly untrue that they've heard from somebody else. The Bible is very clear about this. And I think that um, it should be encouraging, actually, that you're not, I don't believe that you're necessarily looking for the one. I think God knows the one. But what you're looking for is... Well, I have to find my soulmate. Right? I don't believe in soulmates, man. But there's only one. <laughs> I don't think so. Because one person messes it up. Everybody's messed up. <laughs> you know what I mean? One yeah. person marries the wrong person and it's over. Your soulmate's gone and everybody's in with the wrong soulmates. Yeah. Anyways, what I think there is, is I think that uh, we are supposed to partner up in life. Like Genesis 1 and 2 says. And uh, what the Bible in its entirety communicates is I think that there's two qualifications for a spouse. And so when you yourself are looking for a spouse or you're teaching your kids, they need to be a follower of Jesus and the opposite sex. Because, well, what about, you know, what if they're not happy with this and that? Well, I think that that's fine. Like it's, there's nothing wrong with saying, well, I want somebody who's outdoorsy. I don't want to marry a bookworm when I want to be out riding ATVs and hiking mountains and hunting. I think that's fine. I would perfectly consider your spouse your entire life. Uh, but I think that if you married the bookworm and you're an ATV outdoorsman hunter, that the Bible doesn't say you can divorce her then. It says love her just the same, right? Mm -hmm. And our culture does not have that because what happens is these people get together, they marry each other, maybe out of lust or passions or whatever, they have a good time or they're in this honeymoon phase, they get married and they realize, wow, like I'm not having as much fun as I want. I'm not uh, being as pleased as I want uh, and I'm not as happy as I want to be. And so what they do is they think, I've lost that love, and I'm supposed to be with the person that I love. And what the Bible says is that you're supposed to love the one you're with. Yep. I think that's a huge difference. It's upside down living. And it's something seemingly so small, but and if you so don't, important. If you, if you disagree with what Brian's saying, I would challenge you to go back and read the book of Hosea. Like, I don't, do you know what I'm talking about, Brian? So I think it's Hosea. Give me more. Okay. So prophet, right? Uh, God tells him to go marry a prostitute. So oh. he goes and marries the prostitute mm -hmm. and brings her home and gives her a good life. And they start having kids. I'm, I'm, this is a paraphrase, right? Like, mm -hmm. the, don't quote me on mm -hmm. like the exact timeline here, but this is just me from memory. Um, you know, gives her a good life. They build a family. She runs away and goes back to being a prostitute. And he has to go after her. And he, he ends up having to actually buy her back, right? Like mm -hmm. pay Redeem money her? to get his own wife back, right? And then he brings her back. And uh, they start to do well again and they're building a family again. And then she runs away again. She goes and becomes a prostitute. And over and over, God is saying like, go get her and bring her back. That's your wife, mm -hmm. right? And so I think if someone has a hard time with, um, you know, love or how did you put it? 
you, you said love the one you're with, mm-hmm. right? And that's not necessarily a case study to apply to every single situation. Um, but there's definitely precedence for putting up with things mm-hmm. <laughs> that seem like to the rest of the world you should leave over, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that uh, one thing that I think any marriage counselor or marriage therapist, so I'm not a marriage therapist. I consider myself um, a counselor in the sense that pastors are supposed to counsel their flock, and so I do that, but I'm not a marriage therapist. But I meet with a lot of married couples. The, the vast, vast majority of the people I meet with, it's over marriage stuff. And one thing that I think that we need to teach our kids better is how to pick a spouse because the world's not going to teach them something and principles that will last. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that what we need to teach, be able to teach them is this marriage is a once for a lifetime thing. Even in some of the most horrific circumstances, that is your spouse. The Bible does give, um, I believe, grace in a certain uh, circumstances, but that in the thick and thin, you make the vow on stage for a reason. Mm-hmm. And that's because the majority of people married know that marriage is difficult. And the, and the example I give young people, I'm like, hey, have you ever had a roommate? Like, yeah. I'm like, is that, do you ever like fight with your roommate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever switched roommates? Yeah. Well, imagine those same tensions, but you're not leaving that person. You're making a life with that person. And I believe one of the best things you can do is never use the word divorce. Because then if, if separation and leaving and bailing is not an option, you know you've got to fix what's going on. And it changes your whole perspective of arguments and conflict resolution. Yeah. I think it's really important to teach our kids that marriage is a once for a lifetime thing. It's super important. One of the most important things you'll ever do is choose your spouse. And so it's very important. And then what are the qualifications? A follower of Jesus and opposite gender. I think that the follower of Jesus part uh, gives you a sense of common ground where things, you can reconcile things. Where sometimes if you don't, if you have different gods, right? Like, uh, um, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 15 says, you, it's going to be really hard to reconcile things. Mm-hmm. Some things will be unreconcilable if right. you have different gods. Yeah, And so I think that that is the recipe for a successful marriage is two believers getting together. And um, I do believe that there are marriages that... Uh, so I do marry two non-Christians together. I believe that is an actual marriage still. And so um, I, I do that too. And I think that that would be equally yoked. But uh, I will not marry a Christian and a non-Christian together. Mm-hmm. And I think... Because when we're dating, we need to keep in, for Christians, when we're dating, if we want to approach this from a biblical point of view, um, there there isn't a huge checklist, I don't believe, of stuff that you need to find. Like, oh, they need to have blonde hair. They need to be taller than me. They need to dress like this. And they need to make this much money. They need to do, I don't think it's like that. I think they need a follower of Jesus and, and an opposite sex. And yeah. then uh, you, are, you are commanded to love that person and love that person and love that person. And then when you wake up one day and you just got done with a big fight and it didn't resolve well and you're trying to figure out like I'm really angry and I'm frustrated and I'm sad and hurt and all these things, you still love that person. And it is through thick and thin. Those vows are real, man. Yeah. Going back to what you said, like teaching uh, kids how to pick a spouse or what to look for in a spouse, right? The uh, We talk a lot of, at youth group about um, becoming that person. Right. So mm-hmm. developing those things in yourself, like, mm-hmm. oh, you want someone who's going to be faithful? Like, how are you demonstrating faithfulness? How are you cultivating faithfulness? Right. And I even talk about um, with the youth group, like those are things you can start cultivating now in other areas of life outside of um, dating or marriage or even someone, you know, of the opposite gender. Mm-hmm. Um, 
making sure that like you're not neglecting to meet with other Christians, mm. right? Like the Bible says, mm-hmm. be faithful in that area. When you get a job, show up on time. Don't leave early. Don't call in sick for no reason, right? Cultivate that faithfulness in all these other areas. And then it shouldn't be much of a leap for that to be uh, appearing, right? In your dating relationship and in your marriage. And also the flip side of that is like, that's one of the things to be looking for in that other person, right? Are they faithful to their church body? Are Mm -hmm. they faithful to their job? Are they faithful with their parents, right? In all these other interactions and relationships, then that's evidence um, that something's at work there. I think what you're picking up on or what you're saying is, is really good because there's a difference between like, who can I marry? Right. Yeah. And and who should I marry? That's what I'm saying. Because I don't think that a girl who is uh, in her, let's say they're in their twenties, right? And she's been a Christian her whole life, raised in the church, and she is uh, growing and maturing in her faith. Should necessarily jump on the opportunity to marry a guy who got saved yesterday. What about vice versa? It's same, right? Like I, w- I would say the same. So that's what I meant. Like the uh, the idea of similar maturity levels being evenly yoked, right? So. I wouldn't completely write off that guy that got saved yesterday, but let's give him some time to create a track record of faithfulness, mm-hmm. right? To cultivate these gifts of the spirit and fruits of the spirit. And then we'll see. And sometimes I've actually seen where uh, the girl starts off as, um, you know, the one who is kind of taking the lead spiritually. And then the guy catches up and ends up surpassing her and leading the family as he should. Mm-hmm. So that can happen too. But I would just, I would go back to like what you said, I can marry them. Is it wise to? Mm-hmm. And when you say surpassing her, you're saying gets to a point where he can take, uh, he where he's to the point, whether he's more spiritually mature or not, not necessarily surpassing her in that way, but he gets to a point where he can lead the family spiritually right, like right. he's been commanded. Yeah. So not surpassing in, in uh, competency, right? But um, she can trust that yeah. she can hand off the reins for their spiritual lives to him and that he will lead them in the right direction. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. she might be a sharper theologian the rest of her life mm-hmm. than he is. But it's his job by design to be the one leading the family. And that are you that talking means- about Emily in our marriage right now? <laughs> are, you, are you just pointing it out? <laughs> Emily's a sharper theologian than me. <laughs> so yeah, I I, I think that distinction is really yeah. important. Can I versus should yeah. I? And also I think there's some wisdom also in seeing so sometimes I get worried when I when we tell people to uh you know find your strengths and live in your strengths and marry somebody who likes the exact same things because part of what marriage does is it reveals your flaws uh, to each other and really teaches um, and and is kind of a mirror for yourself sometimes. Uh, And kids do the same thing to us. But so, I mean, I think that sometimes there are beautiful marriages that God ordains together where maybe there is a bookworm and outdoorsy person that get married and God has in his divine way, a way that that's going to work really smoothly. But I don't think there's anything wrong thinking about like what kind of person am i like i like going outdoors like oh she likes going out outdoors also she's a follower of jesus she's option gender like you know great let's uh like this will be a good fit yeah um my point more is not so much that only find those things but that that's what the that's the qualifications in scripture say that those things must those be are there. non-negotiables yeah. yeah and then the other stuff perfectly consider your spouse be praying for your spouse even before uh you're dating you know, and then, um, and you asked a good question about age of, age of marriage. Um, because 
Mary, the estimate is that she was like 14 yeah. and getting married. Yeah. Right? Well, people had a little bit, not as much as people would think, but a little bit lesser life expectancy. There were, the maturity was a, what happened a lot faster because there's a lot more put on them. And now adulthood, like what we consider adulthood, I don't remember, you know, all the criteria for that, but it's getting later and later and later and later because we still have, you know, like 35 year olds living with their mom, not because of any issue or because they're trying to assist parents, but because they just have no drive in their life and they're playing video games in their basement. Yeah. You know, and uh, so I think that if you we go backwards, what you see is a lot more, a lot of higher level of maturity in, um, in these people and that there were 15 year olds, you know, 18 year olds that, uh, could support a family and did know the word and did have a strong relationship with the Lord and, uh, could take on everything that's necessary to be a husband and everything that's necessary to be a wife. And so for me, to be honest, here's what I think. This is, uh, this is not necessarily biblical, although I think I can, I could present a decent argument for it. Uh, there's, there's, there's a phrase called decade dating. I think it's horrible. I don't think you should date a decade. I think that if you're dating somebody, you should think, uh, you've got like one shot at yeah. it. I mean, if you do that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. before you're like starting to age out. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that if you're going to, if you're thinking about when do you start dating, this is what I'd ask you. Um, could you be married in about a year or two? If you're like, I'm not going to get married in a year or two, to be honest, I wouldn't even start dating because then you're forcing yourself. What if you start dating the woman that you are, or the man that you are going to marry, and then you're going to force yourself to date that person for three, four, five years. That's a recipe for disaster. One of the things that if we have time, I want to talk about is sexual purity. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to talk about the, the mo- one of the most difficult battles I've ever fought in my entire life, it was sexual purity. And uh, so, well, Paul says that's why people should get married. Yeah, if you I burn mean, with lust, just get married. Yeah, don't don't be like me. If right, can. he's like to be honest. I wish everybody was like me, but not everybody's like me. Which I don't really know how to read Paul when he says that. Yeah. But and then he, and then he's like, yeah, he's, because so many of you will fall into sin. Yeah. Right, if you don't, you should get married. Yeah, and the sin would be sex outside of marriage. Yeah, just the the extrapolation. That's the implication. Of that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I think that people. If you're thinking about dating, it's the age I don't think is as important as that if you start dating. So some people are, are like getting, you know, the, they're letting their kids date at like, you know, 12 years old and you're going to put them in a relationship that has kind of um, a, a biological trajectory that they're going to have to battle uh, that is going to force them to fight. You know, what I would argue is like one of the... Uh, most one of the most widespread sins one of the most accepted sins as well as uh one of the sins that the bible makes a big deal about some would say well all sins are the same if say you believe that maybe not all sins are the same um as far as uh as far as i mean they all ramifications but there's ramifications (laughs) in this life yeah, yeah i think that um you know, sexual sin is communicated in scripture to be something that, you know, everything else happens outside the body, but this happens inside the body and right. the body's the temple of God. Like those kind of, uh, those kind of verses. Um, I think it's a recipe for disaster. So I think they, I think that if you're not going to see yourself getting married in a year or two, hold off on dating, you know, uh, but if you are at the point where like I can be married a year or two, I think you should do it. And I, to be honest, I don't know why you'd be dating five years. There's probably reasons, mm-hmm. but they're not common reasons. I don't think, I think typically within seven, eight, nine months, you're going to know this person well enough to marry them or not. Yeah. And then there's a whole nother discussion, I think on 
when like what when when are couples ready to be married right which we don't have time for but there are some things where okay you dated for a year you know this person uh they are um a follower of jesus they're opposite sex they you know we get along super well uh we you know we haven't had a couple arguments we reconciled those well you know we have a great time together blah 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 you go through all this list you know all this ooey gooey lovey stuff and you're like i'm going to choose to love this person the rest of my life well then you realize maybe like the man is like i i'm i'm not able to step into what the bible calls me to do in a marriage and so that person's got to work on that and maybe that's something that should be taken care of before they starts dating but mm-hmm. anyways yeah. i think the dating should be like year two max three yeah i don't think there should be some de- decade dating stuff so that would mean i would believe that people should be i mean should be getting married a little bit younger right because and well, you know what decade dating is it's essentially being married without the commitment those people That's aren't exactly saving was, themselves right. they're, they're not living separate they're, yeah you know they're basically doing everything what marriage is but right. they just haven't like done that and so they're getting what they want and trying to avoid commitment typically. Yeah, that's typically. exactly what I was going to say is that I think you, you start extending that dating timeline out. Um, and I'm not willing to put like an exact number on it, but like you said, right, it's somewhere in there. Um, you start extending that time out past the three year mark. And I'm not sure how much more you're going to know that person. Um, if you haven't been intentional already um, before you just get married. Right. So yeah. at this point, like, what's going on in your heart. And I'm not saying that everyone who extends past into a certain area or a certain time frame is doing something wrong. Sure. I'm just saying like, you definitely want to be examining your heart as you're going through this process. Like, okay, we've dated for a year. Why do I feel like, or why do I believe I need another year of dating before marriage? Okay. We've had two years. Do I need more time to get to know this person? Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Maybe another six months. I want to figure a couple of things out or see how they react in this situation, right? And then you keep examining over and over as you go. I think what happens is a lot of people get into this like autopilot coasting kind mm-hmm. of a relationship and they do end up uh, allowing themselves all of the benefits of a married uh, covenantal relationship without the covenant, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And that's just, I mean, it's just, it's bad. Yeah. It's, it's bad. Yeah. And, and the reason it's bad, it's a, it's outside of a design. Right. Let me read you something. This is uh, uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creepy things creep that creep on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves along the earth. There's a design there. He's created the male and female. He made them separate and different so that they could combine. Like, And I think that even biologically, there's no argument about that, that male and female biologically are designed to be together in order to be fruitful and multiply. So there's mm-hmm. this design there. And then in chapter two, uh, it's more of a long, drawn-out account of this creation and the in, and ins and outs. What you see is more, more evidence and more intentionality in that coupling of male and female, where uh, you know all the animals are brought before Adam, and it's not, it's not right, it's not right, it's not right. And the idea is proving that there is something that is right for this man that God sees, and that is woman and woman for man. And you just see this like really intricate design where these two puzzle pieces are made to fit together just perfectly. And then you get the verse 24 and it says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one 
flesh. And then some would like, well, what is hold fast to, you know, or, you know, the become one flesh, you know, is it, you know, it, because what people want to do is they want to eliminate the idea that sex has a part of bonding you uh, spiritually and practically in marriage. And I think if you go to first Corinthians 2016, and now I'm going to go on a little bit of a limb here. I believe this is true, but this isn't like a widespread conversation. I don't think I could be wrong, but in first Corinthians 2016, uh, it says this, or do you not know that he who joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her for it is written the two shall become one flesh. Yeah. And the idea there, so Paul's rooting it in the old Testament. Yeah. So Paul is saying that this one flesh is it at, at the very least is partially created and confirmed in the act of sex. Mm-hmm. That is why the prostitute is used as an example there. And says is or says or do you not know that they've joined with a prostitute and uh and the other word used in other uh manuscripts is hold fast, which is actually the same verse used up in tw- in uh, verse 24 of chapter 2. Um says or do you not know that he who joined to a prostitute or holds fast to a prostitute becomes one body with her, one flesh with her. It says for it is written and then quotes it for it is written, the two shall become one flesh. And so I would argue this. Part of the reason, this goes back up to the whole sexual purity thing. Um, there's a design for sex, and it's within man and woman being together in marriage, where they leave mom and dad and they join together in marriage, and then there is sex involved in that. And that is part of this one flesh that everybody likes to use. And I've even seen in secular weddings, people talk about one flesh. Well, the reality is, if we step back and look at this, is that sex outside of marriage, um, I would argue, in a way, at least partially, there is something that is about marriage in that, that you are marrying these other people. And uh, I'm not saying that is marriage necessarily, mm-hmm. because I think marriage has several pieces that come together at the same time. But that is part of what a marriage ceremony is about, is the honeymoon of leaving and then becoming one flesh with them as described and proved by first Corinthians 20, that that is part of the sex part. And so you are partially marrying people in a sense when you're having sex with them outside of marriage, not to mention, you know, Ephesians 5, 31, Matthew 19, 5, Mark 10, 7, all quote that same thing and talk about leaving father and mother, husband and wife, male and female coming together and being one flesh. Throughout Old Testament, throughout New Testament, not to mention the other passages already read back up in, uh, um, you know, earlier when we were talking about Leviticus 18, Romans 1, 26 through 27, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 1 Timothy 1, 10, all talk about the same thing. And my only point is to bring up that I think sexual purity is important in marriage. And to be honest, like, I don't think this is weird of me, but like, yeah, that's why I don't think you should be dating for a decade. Mm-hmm. If you're really going to take sexual purity seriously and and save yourself to become one flesh with your spouse like good i mean you want to fight three years for that dude i'm like day on week three dude i was struggling with that you <laughs> want to, like the only thing i would take back um i wouldn't change any of emily and our dating scenario except for um i wish we could have dated less time mm-hmm. i wouldn't have changed when we got married I just wish we would have dated less time because it was like we broke up. I don't tell a lot of people this. So I'm going to tell a podcast. You're telling like, everybody this. You know, a thousand people or whatever. <laughs> that uh, that uh, one time Emily and I broke up because literally every time I was with Emily, I realized like I'm fighting this battle. Like it's like 
I'm struggling. I'm not doing well. I'm not leading her well. I'm not being obedient well because I'm struggling with this stuff. And what I need to do is separate myself for that. And, it, and I didn't leave Emily or anything like that, but I was like, hey, we got to like kind of the dating thing's got to stop for a while because I need to kind of recalibrate my own, my own mind and my own being here yeah. and just spend some time with the Lord and just kind of deal with this conviction of um, constantly battling sin. And to be honest, I was falling into it. You know, um, I was, uh, we did not have sex before marriage, but there's plenty of other, you know, sexually impure things. Um, the, uh, the Bible talks about um, a hint of sexual immorality. And I'm like, was there a hint of it? I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I think that sexual purity is just, is more, it's not just a moralistic thing. Yeah. Um, I think that it's a design thing and has to do with the bonding of two people spiritually together some way too. So anyways, yeah. what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I guess to, to summarize, um, I think that the purpose of dating is to find a godly spouse. And I think that the way that you prepare for that is through, sanctification of yourself mm. by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right? The more you're going to be like Christ, the better spouse you're going to be, the more prepared for marriage you're going to be. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. I think it boils down to that. That's a but, perfect way to end the dating is just summarizing what you just did about what dating is and what the purpose of it is. And so, um, I think that's, I think that's good. I think that's golden. So, uh, with that, we're going to wrap it up before we dig ourselves a bigger hole here. Uh, hopefully this was helpful and trying to understand a little bit of what biblical dating looks like and how to approach it. And maybe we'll give you a couple things to look at, even with your own kids, if you have them or down the roads, you, we can better prepare the next generation for this. If you are looking for a book that kind of covers a lot of the stuff CJ and I were talking about. CJ, I don't know if you have one, but the one that's going through my mind is The Mingling of Souls by Matt Chandler. What yeah, do you that's think? a great one. Okay. Yeah, that's a good place to start. Yeah, so pick that book up. It's on Amazon. Um, and I think as Kindle and Audible, for those of you who don't like to read. So uh, <laughs> anyways, pick up that book and it will kind of take you through the same stuff. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you again another week.